بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه مباركا عليه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى جل جلاله وعم نواله والصلاة والسلام على سيد الحبيب المصطفى صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد وإلهكم إله واحد لا إله إلا هو الرحمن الرحيم My dear brothers and sisters this topic is a unusual topic in the sense that if we're talking about atheism, agnosticism, possibilism, apathy, etc. everything related to the non-recognition of God, of Allah, uh, maybe denial of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then why am I speaking to those people who already believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So let me ask a question. Are there, is there anybody who's got doubts about their religion? So I know which way to go with this. Otherwise, I don't want to bore you. There's no point telling you something that, mashallah, you're all convinced about. So is there anybody with doubts or questions about their religion? Uh, I will give you, uh, in fact, most of this is going to be based on questions and answers. Uh, I'm, if you don't have any questions, I'm going to provide several different questions which relate to, which come from people who don't believe in a God, who are not sure maybe, or some people who actually deny God. So I thought it would be more useful to do it that way. Because if there's none of you who have any doubts about God, then I may as well make this an exercise of how you can benefit others who may deny God at your workplace, at your study place, in your universities, in your workplaces, or in, with your neighbors. Because this is a big discussion right now. So, any hands? Anybody got problem with atheism here? Uh, I'm saying this because I've, uh, the last time I did a program, well, one time we did a program like this, it was up, up north in another city. And there was actually one of the local youth who actually did not believe in God, had major problems, but he would come and listen to the lectures. He was searching. Which is fine. It's good. Alhamdulillah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about himself in the Quran, mashallah, the verses our Qari recited, they were very pertinent as well. And there's numerous other verses, the whole ayatul kursi, Allahu la ilaha illahu al hayyul qayyum. The whole idea of this verse is to tell us who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Give us some of his characteristics, give us some understanding of who he is and how his interaction with this world is by pondering over it. Allah says, La ilaha illahu al azizul hakim. There is no God except him, he is the mighty and he is the wise one. Mighty one, he has power over all things. So that explains his qudra and his power. Then he says he's hakim, he's the wise one. So whatever he's done in this world is based on wisdom. It's not foolishness, it's not randomness, it's not something that he just did and then he decided, oh, this was wrong what I did. Everything was premeditated, fully volitional and everything was pre-planned. God never, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never does anything and then he thinks, oh, I shouldn't have done it that way. Because his omniscient knowledge, his knowledge, knows about how things will be even before he's created them. So for us, about us for example, now that we are already here, it hasn't changed the knowledge of Allah in any way whatsoever. 
He knew about us the way we are even before He created us. He knew how we were going to be. These changes only take place for us. For Allah, He knows about all of these things from before. I know that's for us impossible to even comprehend sometimes. Because for us, we don't know about things before they've been brought up to us. So how can we think even of someone who may know that? But that's the whole idea that God is beyond what anything we can think of and conceive of. So just because we can't understand how God could know these things, doesn't mean He doesn't know them. Right? Just because we can't understand something, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Just because we haven't seen places in the world, doesn't mean that they don't exist. I'll give you a simple example. When was the last time you had a really realistic dream? Everybody can think of a realistic dream when you were in your dream, especially if it was a nightmare, may Allah protect from shaitan, right? And you think, oh no, I'm dead, right? You get into some big trouble, maybe you had an accident or something, Allah prevent, Allah forbid. But when you're in that dream, doesn't it feel as real as anything in this world? When you're in that dream, right? You could be losing your job in your dream, you could be divorcing your, your spouse in your dream, and you're like, oh no, what have I done to myself? Right? It feels so real. But as soon as you wake up, sometimes you wake up after the dream, sometimes you wake up in the midst of that dream, sometimes you wake up as soon as you're about to have an accident or something, you wake up your dream and Alhamdulillah, that was just a dream. Can you guys relate to that? I mean, I'm not getting any reaction, so I'm just wondering if I'm like, yeah? Do you, guys, do you understand what we're speaking about? The reality, the way the dream feels so realistic and you wake up and like, oh, that's just a dream. Does anybody have doubt about that it being a dream? Now what Imam Ghazali mentions, he uses this example that when a person is in their dream, they feel they're in a real world, in a real paradigm. They don't understand that this is just a dream. It feels real. Soon as you come out of your dream, immediately it's a dream. So, the, rea the reality we're living in right now, when we're not in our dream, in our wakeful state, everything we're experiencing, how do we know, he says, that we're also still not in another level of a dream? And that we can wake up from this and look back and think, did I really do all of that? That was just a dream. Do you understand what I'm saying? That how do you know that this is also not a dream? Why does he do this? This is to give us an understanding that if you want to question things, if you're a person who likes to question things and don't want to take things unless you see it in front of you, there's people who will even question that this bottle of water exists here. They will say, how does it exist? Is that real water or is that just optical illusion of my mind? I know I can feel it, but again, isn't that just an optical? Because if you get into the scientifics of that, you could even deny that. That is it real or not? You might say that people don't deny their parents. There are people who deny their parents. How do you pr prove that you're a child of your parents? How would you prove to somebody that we are children of our parents? Okay, let's start with a birth certificate. That's easier, right? We don't have to go to a DNA, right? Let's start off with a birth certificate. Somebody produces a birth certificate. Right? The birth certificate is from England, or maybe it's from India, Bangladesh, somewhere. How difficult is it? Do you think it's impossible to forge a birth certificate? No. I mean, you can, 
you can forge things. The, the, you've got the right amount of money, the right amount of contacts, you can forge a birth certificate. So somebody's going to say that this is my proof of my relationship to my mother or father, right? My mother or father. Can I prove it using a birth certificate? Birth certificate is open to speculation. Okay, let's do a DNA test. DNA tests are not 100% either. They're about 99%. Recently, I know a, uh, a person who works in a fertility lab, in one, a very prominent fertility lab. They had somebody come in for fertility treatment. treatment. They took the egg and the, the sperm from the couple. They, they did everything. The wife became pregnant, the, the woman became pregnant. And then they come back and they're saying, this is not my child. Even though everything happened there. They had to then send for DNA tests to some of the greatest experts in DNA uh, to America, etc. And they were shocked that this was an unusual case. This was an unusual case that there were so many things that were different, but yet there were so many things that matched. And it created confusion in that. So if you want to be a skeptic, a questioner, not believing in anything unless you see whatever is absolute proof to you, then you can deny anything and everything. Everything is possible to deny if you want to be that skeptic. So where is your skepticism going to stop? Where, is your question, where are your questions going to stop? When are you going to start accepting things? Have you, how many of you have seen your great-great-grandfather? I've seen my great-grandfather. I haven't seen my great-great-grandfather. I'd love to see him. I've seen a picture of his, but I haven't seen him. A passport picture. But that could have been made up in India. You can make up anything. How do you prove that your grandfather, your great-great-grandfather existed? You can't. But don't we believe it? How do we prove that we were in an embryonic stage in the stomachs of our mothers? Does anybody remember that? But I don't, I don't think anybody's going to deny that one. Does anybody remember when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took out all of the children of Adam alayhi salam in the form of small small ants or as they resembled and then he said to them I am your Lord aren't I your Lord and he said of course you are does anybody remember that no there are some people who say we can we can recall that experience there are some people maybe Ali radiallahu I think it was from him or somebody that doesn't mean it didn't happen so all of this takes us to the understanding that it's not only through seeing something or hearing something that you can receive knowledge about something. There are many ways of receiving knowledge, receiving beliefs about some things. You have not seen your great-great-grandfather, -grand you've never heard him, you've never held him, you've never hugged him. Right? So none of your senses can bear witness to our great-great-grandparents, but we believe it nevertheless. How do we believe it? We do induction, we do inference, right? We use various different ways of reaching a conclusion. So, just because you can't see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't mean He does not exist. There are so many things that we can't see but we believe in them. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ذَلِكُمُ اللَّهُ رَبُّكُمْ That is Allah, He is Allah. That is, He is Allah, your Lord. La ilaha illahu. Constantly, there is no God except He. Khaliqu kulli shay. The creator of everything. Fa'buduh. So now worship Him. 
because he is responsible for everything that you are so worship him show him your devotion Allah says وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ In fact, another verse وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا إِلَهًا وَاهِدًا They've only been told to worship one Lord, one deity. One ob- they've only been told to take one object of worship. لا إله إلا هو. There is no God except He. سبحانه عما يشركون. Glorified and transcendent He is above what they bring as partners to Him, what they impartner to Him. So now, the first thing that you do whenever you come into any of these questions with anybody is never jump in to try to answer there are so many questions about it. I'll give you another example I was in a in a college uh, just some time ago and I was uh, I was it was myself and this other Muslim sister who was representing the Muslim opinion uh, it was essentially in a sixth form college and they had invited people from different faiths to talk about their faith so the Christian uh, clergy person, he spoke first and then after that they told a sister to speak. And as she had finished, these are, these are all teenagers. You know, you're seven, 16, uh, f- uh, 16, 17, 18, that year, that age. As soon as she finished the talk, hands went up. Why do you have to cover your head? Why do you have to wear a hijab? What is the normal answer? What, what do you guys say when somebody asks you that question? That's, that is the right answer, to be honest. You have to come back to that eventually. But if you say that, it's like, man, this guy's, you know, somewhere else. The typical answer that people give, and they think it's a really good answer, is, uh, oh, because it's my choice. That's not a very good answer, to be honest. It is your choice, inshallah. It is your choice. But that's not the answer they're looking for. Why is it your choice? Right? If you prod... It's because the religion has told you this is good. So they're going to say, oh, it's because you've been made to believe. You've been made to believe that this is the thing you must do. So then you've chosen it because that's where you've been led to choose. So you get stuck with that answer. So I couldn't say anything because it wasn't my turn to speak. I let her deal with it. And then after that, eventually when it was my turn, and I finished, in fact, in my talk, I, I, I dealt with it. I said, look, I want to ask you guys a question. Because remember, a lot of these questions don't ever jump into answering them. Because as soon as you jump into answering them, you have already accepted their premise. You've accepted the way they have formulated. So it's like you've accepted half of the way they think, and you're trying to answer it according to the way they think. But it's totally wrong. From the basis of it. So my question to them was, to these young guys who are asking the question, why is it a problem if she, if she covers her hair? Why is it an issue? What is the point on the body after which it's not good to cover? There, 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 where is it? Who made that decision? The only reason you've got a problem with her covering her hair is because you're not used to it. You're used to women not covering their hair. But who makes that value judgment as to which is better? If she feels that is better for her, then let her do that. And if you feel that is better for you not to do it, that's up to you. But who makes the judgment? And why is your judgment that the hair should not be covered and women should leave their hair out? Why is that a better judgment than this? Where's the science behind it? Where, where are your statistics or studies or research that shows that is better than that one? Where is that? 
Can you see, don't ever get caught up in the question. Always take the question and see why they're asking the question. Is this somebody who genuinely has a query, who wants to understand? Always prod them, like why are you asking that question for? Why is that so important for you? Always do that. Then have a discussion. Go for a coffee if you want somewhere. Go for a tea somewhere, let's discuss this. Bro. You can't just answer this just like that. <coughs> Don't jump into a question and try to answer it because you'll generally get stuck. Always try to understand why somebody is asking, the assumptions behind why they're asking that question. And then you can find some common ground where they accept certain things. Do, are they traditional people? What do they accept as truth? Uh, what can you use? Then you can try to understand how best to convince them. A lot of people ask, what is the best book to give to somebody who is interested in Islam? And that's, a, that was, that's always been a very difficult answer. The reason is that the person who is asking you that question, he may be interested in science. He doesn't care about spirituality. So you need to give him a book that is related from a scientific perspective about Islam. There are some people who are more spiritual. They don't care about science. So you need to get a book on introduction to Islam about, uh, the, from a spiritual perspective. Right? Somebody might be interested in a more philosophical dimension. They might philosophize a lot of things. They're very deep thinkers. So now if you give them a book that is related to, uh, not related to deep <coughs> thoughts about Islam, then that's not going to be useful to them. But now I can say there is actually one book which, mashallah, deals with everything. I think when I read it, I benefited hugely for it, from it. It's called, uh, give me a copy, A Thinking Person's Guide to Islam. It's written by a person with two PhDs and he happens to be a prince, right? But don't, don't, let, that, don't let that discount the book. Uh, a Thinking Person's Guide to Islam, um, written by Prince Ghazi. He explains what Islam is, the various different aspects of Islam. It's only came out, I think, about two years ago and it's already been translated into several languages because it's done in such a beautiful way, such a convincing way because the author has uh, two PhDs, he's a philosopher and he's a very good, mashallah, a practicing Muslim. Right? So it's always nice for all of us, especially in this current day and age where we're working with non-Muslims, we're working with people who are going to be constantly and then uh, Islam has become so uh, criticized because of some of our own doing some of our own inaction, some of our, some of our unfortunate brothers out there and, you know, who do weird things in the name of Islam and then we just sit back and not do enough to counter that sometimes or we don't give them a positive idea. We have brothers and sisters who are cheating the system and cre creating blameworthiness because of that. Right? So all of that is there. That's why we really need to understand what's necessary so that we can answer this. So now let me look at a few diff different questions. One of the best ways that you can explain to somebody who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is by what they call is the beautiful design of the universe. How can something be so beautifully designed and not have any designer behind it? I mean, this book, is it beautifully designed? Right? So there must be a beautiful designer behind it. It just couldn't come up randomly. Once Imam Abu Hanifa right, was uh, sitting there and there was a group of atheists or agnostics. They were, the, the, they were mulhideen. They, they were people who denied Allah and they had confusions about that. They came to him and said, we want to ask you some questions. Right? So imagine you're sitting there, big scholar is sitting there and uh, these atheists, they're, they're, they're Arabs you know, and they're coming to ask the question. Uh, we want to ask you some questions about 
uh, about God. So he, so Imam Abu Hanifa said, you know what? I, I can't take your questions right now. I, I can't take your questions right now because right now I've got a question that I'm already dealing with. It's a very complex question and I don't know, I'm thinking about it right now. So they got curious and say, what is that question? He says, I've been told about a ship, right? About a freight liner, a ship, right? That travels on the ocean and it's traveling without a captain. There's nobody governing its course. It's traveling on its own and it's going through the waves and it knows exactly how to navigate and it goes from its place of origin to its destination and it doesn't go wrong. And they're asking me about this and I can't understand this. Now, that question, if it came today, we could all understand that. It's just a smart ship. It's got automated functions. I mean, you could, you could, planes can be basically flown right now with a remote control. They just have a person sitting there just to make sure that if, it, if the computer does malfunction. Otherwise, most pilots, they just sit there. They put an autopilot. They do certain things manually. I mean, if you've ri driven a Tesla, you may have had that experience. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're riding it and you can put it on automatic. And it will avoid the cars in front. But then sometimes it does cause a problem because it's just the computer at the end of the day. For us, this thing has become a reality now. But in those days, that was impossible to imagine. It would be impossible to imagine a keyless entry of a car in those days. So, I mean, a ship driving itself is impossible. So now, when he said that to them, they said, Man, this is a crazy idea. How can a ship drive by itself? Right? Can't you not understand that? How can a ship... They're like trying to answer the question for him, like, why are you even entertaining this question? It's such an absurd question. And that's when Imam Abu Hanifa said, that's exactly my point to you. This is your answer. You guys cannot accept one small ship that can drive on its own, without a driver, without... And you think this entire universe with all of its beauty and everything, you think that can drive on its own? That can be, that can be designed and it can run on its own? And that's when they realized their fault. So you could tell that they were not arch skeptics. They, they had genuine, they, they, they were genuine seekers. Alhamdulillah, they all, they, all, they all came back into the faith. So what I'm trying to say is that with a lot of these questions, you can't, don't be so naive and just kind of jump into it and try to explain in our, you know, naive way. We can't do it. Sometimes you have to just stop, take a step back and say, why are we asking this question? Why is that so important to you? What is life to you first? Where do you think you're going? Ask him where he's going first. What do you believe in? See, because out there you've got people who absolutely deny Allah, like actively. They, ha they, they hate God. They hate the whole concept of God. They hate anybody that believes in God. They have a vehement approach to this. And they're, there to, they're seeking to actually destroy anything related to God. Like arch-atheists. And that's the difference between this generation, uh, the last 40 years, and maybe hundreds of years before that. Because the militant athe atheism has been around as, you know, there's always somebody or the other who deny a God. I mean, that's just generically a human trait for some people right but from around you can do a trace of the uh, of atheism for about from about 16 1700 but in those days christianity was very strong in europe now remember europe where we live never had a prophet right 
Europe has never had a prophet. The Middle East has had a prophet, right? Many other places have had prophet, but Europe has not had a prophet. That's why their prophets are the major philosophers, like Kant and others. That's where they take a lot of this from today. The other thing that Europe has dealt with, right, is persecution by the Christian church. Because the church dominated Europe. If you look at, if you go to the University of, uh, sorry, not the University, if you go to the Museum of London, does anybody know where, where that is, the Museum of London? Where is it? Right, it's in that area, uh, Barbican and beyond that. It's very interesting, you should go there to understand this, where the, how this great city started, right? A Roman garrison city on the Thames, right? If you look there as it develops, there's a huge amount of churches. There's just church, 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 church. Like, you know when you go to Blackburn and you see masjid on every corner, it was like that. Well, it's still like that, but just in one year alone, I saw The Economist a few years ago, just in one year alone, 50 churches in London were sold. And this was a few years ago. They're being, church, they're being sold. 50 churches were sold to either become community centers, um, luxury homes, or something like that. There is a huge number of churches in London alone. Because Christianity was quite widespread throughout Europe. The worst place that, where there's a lot of persecution and oppression committed by the church was in France. So today, you actually see that the French are probably the most antagonistic towards any religion. And because Islam is so strong and powerful and manifest and people like to practice it, Islam becomes their main enemy. That's why their whole constitution is based on what they call the laïcité, an extreme form of, uh, of secularism that doesn't even allow religion. That's why they have such a problem with religion, less problem than the British have, than the UK have. That's why even in Canada, which is mostly English, part French influence, that Quebec and that, they're part French, it's from Quebec that they're trying to ban the hijab right now. Not the rest of the country. And the French have some problem. right? They have a really weird relationship with, and yet France is the, probably the most Muslims in, in Europe. But they've had a, one of the reasons for that is they've just had a bad experience with religion. A lot of the time people who deny God is because they've had a bad experience. And if I stop talking about Christians and I start talking about Muslims, it's a very similar picture here. One of the reasons why some Muslims have left the faith or are leaving the faith is because Islam has been presented to them in culture only. You know, the green and gold and red glitter of marriage, of weddings. There's nothing else beyond that. What true religion is, they have no idea. It's a cultural religion that has been presented to them. And then sometimes they've been forced to marry somebody they don't want to marry, like their cousins, and saying this is Muslim and Islamic. It's the only way Islam crept up in the whole discussion. I spoke to a woman who lives in London somewhere. She's older. She's a Pakistani woman, older, uh, meaning probably about 40 now. She's married to a non-Muslim. She knows she's doing wrong. She knows I, this is a bad marriage. I shouldn't be in this marriage. How did you get there, I said. She said, I was forced to marry my cousin from Pakistan. He was brought over. I couldn't get along with him. And I lost my faith. Now she's coming back to her faith. She's realizing this was not faith that was forced her into it. So there could be many reasons. This isn't the only reason. There could be many reasons of why a person leaves the faith. Right? It could be many, many reasons. We have to own up to this. 
So one of the re one of one group of people who don't believe in God are those who absolutely deny it. The other thing we've had is in the last 40, 50 years, we've had what they call the five horses or the four horses, right? These are these very confident atheists that some of them were very articulate. You know, your Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and Hitchens. They have they they have basically taken the discourse with their very articulate way of argument by having debates with people who are maybe not as good and then they they they, they break them down so people there are people i know who've uh, there are about three muslim youth that i've dealt with who had questions about their faith and all the arguments that they articulated were primarily from dawkins now the thing is that the same arguments same criticism he is putting onto Islam of why for example it's a simple question why do women get half of what a man gets for inheritance why does a woman why is a woman not allowed to issue a divorce in Islam why is it only the man who can these are some of the questions why does a woman have to cover up when a man doesn't Okay, these are questions. If you focus on them, you can, you can see why these questions are being a problem because it seems like there's no, equi uh, there's no equality. When are men going to stand up? I'm not saying that they should. But let's say men started getting really angry about this and they started taking their manhood back because right now masculinity is in crisis. right? And they started saying, why can't men have babies? We want breasts as well. We want to be able to feed. We want to be as emotional. We want to cry more as well. We can't cry. You guys just cry over everything. Why can't we cry so easily? We want to do it as well. This is inequality. How could God create this? We're not going to believe in this religion anymore. We're not going to believe in God. We're going to deny God because of that. Similar arguments, I mean this is just a few arguments, there's so many more things that men can say if they want to. I'm not saying they should do because it's absolute lunacy to do so, right? What I'm saying is that where you don't cause a problem, there shouldn't be a problem. For hundreds of years, thousands of years, this has been the case, right? Women did what they did best, men did what they, they are complementary role, there is gender equity. Gender equality is a, is, a, is a false idea. It's gender equity, where you help one another. Women are very good at certain things. Men are very good at other things. They help together. That's how they produce children, and the race continues. But what's happened right now is that the discourse through the media and through some ideologues and through these arch-atheists, they've just put the focus on women inequality. Nobody's forced, forced on so-called male equality and that's why that's not a problem this is a problem it's all about who creates the big discourse who 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 manages the narrative we have to be able to see through this i give you an example in france in america and in the uk a man is allowed to run bare-chested if he wants to go and do a jog outside in a park, I don't think there's any law about not wearing a t-shirt, is there? For men, right? But if a woman wants to do the same thing, do you think she would survive? That's illegal. But in France, it's okay to do that at the beach. 
right? In France, it's, in fact, even in Spain, it's okay to do that at the beach. All right? But in England, it has to be specially designated. Why is there inequality? What justifies this? What justifies that? In Egypt, about 85 to 90% of women wear hijab. So if the country decided that hijab must become necessary for every woman, why should that be a problem? The reason it's going to be a problem is because anti-West. It's not the dominant ideology right now. People will make a big fuss. For that 10%, people will make the biggest fuss. But there's so many other things happening. Nobody makes a fuss about those things. It just depends on what the discourse is. That's why don't get caught up in the question and then trying to be boxed and then be boxed in and find your, trying to find your way out. Challenge their assumptions. So I said to these young guys, what is it that makes that part of the body not to be covered? Why is somebody in a t-shirt and jeans superior to somebody in an abaya and in a hijab? Why is that one person superior to this person? Can anybody give a reason? It's only superior because we're used to it. It's a deep-seated ideology that has been fed to us and we've taken it in. We don't even know why we think that. Scientifically, why is that better than this? Why should your judgment be superior to my judgment? If you want true freedom of expression and if you want true freedom of whatever you want to do, then let her be like that and let her be like that if that's what you're saying. So, why do we believe in something we can't see? That's a famous question, right? So, uh, actually, let me go back to the first person who denies. The second type of people are those who don't deny God, but they say that we don't have enough evidence to prove it yet. We don't have enough evidence. These are agnostics. Agnostics, which is the topic of the title, so I better cover agnostics, right? So, agnostics are those who say we don't know yet. We're still looking. So I was like, how long are you going to look for? Right. We're still looking. We're still exploring. Right. I mean, there's enough evidence there for Allah if you want. Allah is such an essential reality that your own self will call out to Him. When you're, when, when you're in the greatest state of desperation. I remember listening to a TED talk and she was explaining. She said, you're going to call out to the heavens. They just don't want to use God. When you're in trouble, you're going to call out to something because it's a human nature that is God has implanted to call on something greater than you. What is that greater thing? You're going to just intellectually convince yourself that, oh, it's heaven, whatever that means. It is nature, whatever that means, right? Just these different ideas. You know, people say, oh gosh. That's essentially just a... Instead of saying, oh God, this is just the way of saying, oh gosh, instead of, people need an expression. Why do you say, oh God, a me? Whatever you say, like, you know, for your mother. You're just calling on to somebody who you think you're going to get something from. So you say, oh God, so you call out to gosh. Who the heck is a gosh? Like, why would you call out to that? It's a human need to call on to something. So that's the second, they're agnostics. The third set of people are Apathy. Apathy means they don't care. They have no interest in finding out whether there's a God or not. They don't even want to discuss it. Oh, that doesn't... They're just indulgent in the dunya. 
we're happy, we just have lots of money, we can enjoy ourselves, we can eat and entertain ourselves to death, that doesn't bother us. We're not worried about tomorrow, we're not worried about the hereafter. Apathy is a massive problem. That's why you have a lot of Muslims who do believe in God at the back of their mind, but they have a lot of apathy. They don't want to learn, they don't really care, they don't really know. It's not a reality for them what's going to happen afterwards. So apathy is a massive problem, it needs to be cured. Then there's a, a fourth possibility, there's an author that I was reading, and he, he, he studied the brain in depth. So he's neither an atheist, neither an agnostic, neither, an, neither apathy. He says that I'm a possibilist. Essentially saying that what it is, is that he is basically saying there's probably enough evidence for there to be something but I'm not willing to accept it yet. But I'm saying possibly. It's better than the others at least, you're getting closer. Right? These are just various ideas of the denial of God because as our ulama have explained to us that people have different types of kufr. One is called kufru jahlin. The disbelief of ignorance where you don't know about God, nobody's told you about it, so you're ignorant about it. Why you don't know, there could be many reasons why you don't know. You haven't bothered trying or you did try but you couldn't find. I believe that anybody who searches God will find him. That's a promise from Allah, I think. That anybody who searches for God will find him. So that's kufru jahl, just ignorance. Then there's kufru inad and kufru juhud. Basically kufru inad is, I know, but I'm not going to believe that. I know, but I'm not going to believe. Inside you know it's right, but you cover it up. And you stubbornly refuse to believe. You stubbornly refuse to believe. You're obstinate. If I really want to be fair with myself, I should believe, but I've got too much to lose. I'll need to do... Why do a lot of people not believe? Because if you start believing in God, He puts you into laws. God puts laws down. Following the laws of God are not easy. Right? That's why a lot of people say, what do you, you know, if you're a Muslim, what do you have to do? Oh, you have to stop eating, you have to stop drinking, you have to stop womanizing, manonizing, whatever, you know, whichever way it is, right? No, I can't do that, that's difficult. Right? Maybe later, whatever. You know, it takes a while. It's just human beings. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَفَمَنْ شَرَحَ اللَّهُ صَدْرَهُ لِلْإِسْلَامِ فَهُوَ عَلَى نُورٍ مِّن رَبِّهِ reason I say that is because there was a group of atheists in America that were young Asian Pakistani uh, background and they um, had become atheists. Now they were going around the different universities uh, giving a lecture and telling them about their experience. And subhanAllah, one of the names was Muhammad the atheist. It just sounds such an oxymoron. Like how can you have a Muhammad who's an atheist? It just doesn't make sense, but something went wrong somewhere. And, you know, there's Muhammad the atheist. And one of the questions that really struck me was that they were talking about their difficulty with their family and their parents. How they were trying to deal with their parents and difficulty of not being accepted now, being alienated, and so on and so forth. So... So the person asked him, wouldn't it have been easier for you to just believe? And he said, of course, but we can't. Now think about that, that's a very deep answer. It, it, it's a very telling answer. 
we would love to believe, I'm, I'm interpreting, we would, that would have been easy for us. But we can't believe. What's going on here? What's going on here? What's going on is that if Allah says in the Quran, بَلْ طَبَعَ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبِهِمْ بَلْ كَلَّا بَلْ رَانَ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبِهِمْ There's طَبَعَ اللَّهُ فَبِمَا نَقْدِهِ When Allah puts a seal for whatever reason, then it doesn't matter what you try, you get the best people to explain to you who God is, try to answer your, uh, your, your, all your questions, you just won't get it. At the end of the day, you must call on to Allah yourself. Now, this is not to say we don't have answers. This is not like you must understand the Trinity even if you don't get it. Like you must just believe. That's not the point. Right? We have many, many answers for all the questions. But if answers were convincing other people but it did not convince you, then maybe there's a deeper problem. Which is that it's just, there's a seal on the heart. And the only way to remove the seal is أَفَمَنْ شَرَحَ اللَّهُ صَدْرَهُ لِلْإِسْلَامِ it is the one for whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has opened his heart up for Islam. That person is on the light of his Lord. That person is on the light of his Lord. That's why at the end of the day, it's, it's really that which, which matters. When you have a wet ground, don't you know that it's rained? But somebody could have just sprayed it. But we generally believe in rain. We make certain calculations. Think if it's just a small area, okay, maybe there was a garden hose. But if it's a very large area and you keep seeing it, then okay, it was probably rain. You could even smell the rain in there sometimes. So we didn't see the rain, but we saw the ground wet. We inferred. We, it, was a, it was a calculation that we did with our mind. It's a syllogism. We, we put two and two together and that's what we said it is. That's why we have many things of the unseen to believe in like the hereafter. That we can't see with our senses. But we have to understand. How can this world have been created without a person, without a being rather, right, who has the following capabilities? Because there's no way this world would have been so beautiful. Forget the entire world. Let's just look at some fruits right now. There are some people who have recognized Allah just by fruits. Look at the orange for example. Right? It's a simple fruit that we don't pay too much attention to. It's got a thick skin that's orange on the outside, white on the inside. When you remove that skin, there's still another layer that protects the different segments. The segments then have a skin. It's segmented into however many, perfectly placed together in that round shape. You, you remove the segments, you separate the segments, then you take each individual segment and you can remove the skin. And then inside, it's not like a mango, but it's actually the flesh inside is made up of different, however you describe that, all right? You look at a mango, it's completely different. It's solid inside. It's soft. You look at a watermelon, it's this many percent water, but look at the way it is. If you make that same thing into juice, it won't last for long. But if you leave the watermelon, it will last longer. You look at the jackfruit. Right? Um, I don't really do much jackfruit, but durian, if anybody's had durian. It's an amazing fruit. It's got a very thick skin. Right? Very thick, prickly skin. You open it up and it's got these concaves in which there is this, the flesh of the fruit inside, which is like cream. It's amazing, but it's got a very bad smell. 
right? How Allah just, there was somebody who became Muslim just by observing fruit that there's no way this could have just been done in random without a God. Somebody must have created this. Let me give you a few examples. Like if somebody says, uh, if God loves us, then why should he not help us to understand him? Now think of this question. Somebody asks you, okay, so if God is supposed to be loving and everything, merciful, and he loves us, then why shouldn't he help us to understand him? How would you answer that? Exactly. You have to challenge the question. Basically, they're trying to tell you that uh, God hasn't helped you. Now, if you start answering, no, but, uh, you know, why doesn't he help us? Oh, it, you already get caught in the net. You already accept God hasn't helped us. Say, well, how do you know God hasn't helped us? Of course he's helped us. He sent all of these prophets. He sent books. He, sent, he sends you evidences of proof, signs from the cosmos. All of these things tell us that there's a God. So why are you saying that there's no that he hasn't helped us that's just an assumption that you have don't ever get caught in assumptions because not everything that is an assumption is correct just because an atheist puts a question out there and criticizes god or religion doesn't mean it's true just because it sounds official that's the problem that we just think that if somebody said it hey that must be a bigger nobody must have answered it there are even with regards to evolution, so many things have been answered, but the textbooks mention the same thing over and over again. They've been disproved. Various different graphs and various different things, they've been disproved. They still use them over and over again. If you don't know the answers, then you'll just be confused. A lot of these things have been answered, but we're just sitting back not doing anything. We need to take this and understand these things. Um, why should God punish you with eternal hellfire if you've disbelieved in this world? Very common question. Well, that one you're going to have to answer, right? Because it's a very straightforward question. Well, one of the reasons is that God has given you enough time in this world to believe or disbelieve. And at the end of the day, if you have not believed in 30 years, 50 years, 40 years, because any child who dies, they don't, they're, they're not considered to be uh, in punishment anyway. So children are out of this. It's only after you become discerning and become an adult and that's when you, you're going to be uh, uh, that's where you're going to be liable, right? That's where you're going to be accountable. The reason why you're punished forever is because kufr has become your state. It's not an action anymore. It's not like I only did it for five years. It was only kafir for 10 years or 20 years. It's your state. That's your hal. That's who you are. Now, that's who you are. So that's a state is very powerful. It's, that's very revealing about somebody. So... Some say, if you have a merciful God, why is there suffering in the world? How do you answer that one? First thing is, what is suffering? Let's decide what suffering is first. And why is suffering bad? Why are you making it a big deal for? Why is suffering bad? Isn't some suffering good? It actually makes you a better person if you suffer. It takes you down from your arrogant state, like you, because you got a lot of money or you got very, you know, and you have to then suffer. You like really think about yourself. There's a purpose behind suffering. Why should it be bad? Okay, some suffering may be considered bad, but why all suffering? What is that decision? So there's lots of answers like this, lots of questions like this. So I stop here. And my final thing is that what we need to do is we need to constantly, to protect ourselves and our children, we need to constantly remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The more we remember Him, inshallah, the stronger He will be in our hearts. So these small, small things will not phase us. Number two, we need to gain knowledge.
and we need to understand more about Allah. Deep reading of the Quran, especially the verses about Allah, they are very helpful. And other really good books on Islam and about Allah, they're very useful. Like, like as, as I mentioned, this really gives a good modern understanding. Um, and then number, th- uh, number three, don't get caught out with these questions. Right? You can't answer these things in a simple, simplistic way. You have to challenge the assumptions and ideas. And you will feel that if you have the confidence and the trust in Allah, inshaAllah, you'll be able to prevail. So you must have a lot of trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep us steadfast. Allahumma thabbitna, Allahumma thabbitna ala, ala, ala deen. That's very important. Rabbana la tuziq qulubana ba'da ithalaytana wa hablana bil ladunka rahma innaka antal wahhab. These are very important du'as to make. So inshaAllah I stop here. Uh, if you have any uh, basic questions, I can, I can take it uh, as long as Hazrat here allows. So the question is, the question is that if um, God is all-powerful, then why can he not build, can he build a stone or manufacture a stone that he cannot lift, right? Uh, the same, to be, honest, to be honest, it's the same question, why can't he develop another God just like him? If he's so powerful, why can't he do that? So this is a quite a simple question to be honest and there's a very simple answer to that. God is defined as being all-powerful, that he can do whatever, right? Now there are two answers here. Number one, there can't be anything in existence. It's an absurdity, it's a logical fallacy, an absurdity for there to be anything that God can't do in existence. It's like asking the question that can you build, can you design a square that is triangle? Can you have a triangle which is square or a square which is triangle? You can't. Because by the very definition of what a triangle is, it's a three-sided, is a three-sided uh, shape. And a square is a four-sided shape. So you can't say why you can't do that. Now, if you get the best mathematician and you... or Trig, uh, what is it? Trigonometry? Is that what you call it? And you tell them that you're not good enough if you can't do that. It's just absurdity. It's a silly question to start with. Because God is all-powerful by His very intrinsic nature. So if I say, why can't God create another God? It's the same thing. Why God, another intrinsic characteristic of Allah is that He is one. If He created another one, it'd be absurdity. Because it means He's no longer one anymore. You can't have the same as God. It's impossible because God is one. You can't have two ones. Do you understand? The unique ones, right? Because it's something else. These are absurd questions that are being asked like, if this is white, can you make that dark, but it's still white? It's just a silly question. At the, at the, I'm not saying your question is silly. I'm saying the idea is a silly one. To, to say that because it's self-defined. The, the other answer, which is like a simplistic answer, is that why should God do something so stupid that is self-defying? Why should He create a stone He can't lift? But that, that, that's not really the, the strongest, that, that's not really a very good answer anyway. The main thing is that God has ability over all things that are possible. This is an in, inconceivability. This is not even, you can't even rationally think this thing. So the question is that the, the first part of your question was this. We have science, and science, that is, the, that, that is the way we know things, right? Generally, science is the modern way by which we know things. And right now, science hasn't told us there's a God, right? There's a number of problems with this question to start with, right? There's a number of assertions being made here, which are not entirely accurate. 
First of all, science, God is outside the realm of science. Science is based on, right now, on empiricism, which means things you can observe and test and repeat. Right? Can science answer the question of beauty, aesthetics? What is beautiful and what is not beautiful? That's a judgment. That is a value judgment. Science can't answer that. Science can tell you how this thing is made. Right? And that this thing is so hard. And this thing is so tall or whatever. It, science is not even there to answer. It's, this is not like a, a criticism of science to say that science doesn't deal with God. It's beyond its scope for science to deal with God. Because science doesn't tell you where things, uh, uh, the, the purpose of things. It tells you how things are. It doesn't tell you about the purpose of things. So, science cannot... Science cannot, exp uh, 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 science cannot explain ethics, for example, because ethics is outside the realm of science, right? How you should eat, the ethics of eating, the ethics of not cheating. How does science even deal with that? It's a different paradigm. That's a different idea whatsoever. So people have started saying or started believing that science must be able to answer everything. But it can't answer everything. It has a limited scope. So these things are outside the science, limits of science. Muslims have never had a problem with science. Christians have had a problem with science. So when Christians have had a problem with science, people have thought, if Christians have had a problem with science, Muslims, as another religion, must have a problem with science as well. We don't. Because we understand that science can only answer certain things, while uh, 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 it can't answer other things. Number two, for Christian scientists, when they go into a laboratory, they have to leave their faith at the door. Right? Because it's not reconcilable. For us, it's not a problem. Because for us, science doesn't deal with anything to do with God anyway. And then to say that, uh, they try to say that, are you saying that scientists aren't religious people? As many religious people as you have in the community, in the society, the same proportion, there were two studies done on this, the same proportion of people the uh, same proportion of believers you find in people, as opposed to non-believers, you will find the same proportion of believers among scientists over non-believers in science. It just represents. So if you believe and you do science, you can do it. And if you don't believe in science, and you, you do, you, you'll just come up with a different conclusion. But science has got nothing to do with God. Science can explain the universe, but it can't explain why the universe. Like, why is the universe there? They can't explain that.